Hello, and welcome to the 404 Media Podcast, where we bring you unparalleled access to hidden worlds, both online and IRL. 404 Media is a journalist-founded company and needs your support. To subscribe, go to 404media.co. As well as the other bonus content, subscribers can hear us answer their questions in future podcasts. Ask us anything you want on podcast at 404media.co. I'm your host, Joseph, and with me are the 404 Media co-founders, Sam Cole. Hello. Emmanuel Mayberg. Hey. And Jason Kebler. Hello. See. Good to be here. Yes. No no chaotic switch up there. Um all right, let's start with our first story. We're going to talk about a couple this week as normal. The first one is from Emmanuel, and it's AI image detectors are being used to discredit the real horrors of war. Uh, immediately, I will put a content warning here that you know we're going to get into some descriptions of violence inevitably because this is about the ongoing Israel-Palestine conflict. It is, of course, a story about AI, but there is a much broader context here. So, Emmanuel, first of all, let's do this step by step because it's a little bit confusing. I admittedly got a little bit confused by this. First, what image did the government of Israel tweet? Because that's where this starts. Yeah, I think... Whenever discussing this issue, you have to make a very difficult and somewhat arbitrary choice about when you want to start telling a story. I will back up one step before this image was tweeted because I think it gives important context for how people were talking about it. And earlier that week, uh, Israel's prime minister... Bibi Netanyahu um, got on a call with President Joe Biden and told him that um, 40 babies were beheaded in Israel as part of uh, Hamas's attack. And uh, in a very unusual choice, like this conversation on Bibi's end was uh, televised. And uh, so the, that, that information, that claim was out there. And Joe Biden repeated it, and people understandably immediately started looking into it and were like, well, where's the evidence for this claim? And nobody could produce it. And since then, uh, the White House has walked the claim back entirely and said that Joe Biden saw no evidence to this claim. They were just saying it based on what Bibi said to him. And uh, Israel, in turn, has also yet to produce evidence for this specific claim and have walked it back somewhat, not entirely, but people sort of backed off this claim. And that is sort of like the environment um, that this image that the story is about is uh, coming into. And that image is like, I think the next day or a couple of days later, Israel's official Twitter account and Israel's prime minister's official Twitter account tweeted out, three images. Two of the images are of what they said are the um, kind of burnt remains of a baby. Right. And then another photo of kind of like the bloody corpse of a baby. Um, And given like the conversation that happened before, 
about this claim that is apparently not real, or at least no one has produced evidence mm-hmm. for it yet. They sort of tweeted out to be like, hey, it's like people are saying that we're lying. People are saying that this didn't happen. It's like here are like these very graphic, horrible images of something that did actually happen. Like exceptionally graphic. I was almost surprised that they put this out publicly. You know, then that that's almost a whole other discussion of whether a government would do that. But I was kind of shocked that it was put to Twitter. And obviously, we're not going to describe the photos. If you maybe you've already seen them, if you're listening to this, or maybe you do want to go see them so you have more context. There are versions of them in the story that Emmanuel will get to. But yeah, yeah. Um, so those are the images. Yeah, and they were out there, and um. I mean, I'll, I'll get into like how the, the AI portion of this uh, gets started, and that is by Ben Shapiro, a conservative uh, Jewish commentator, tweeted them out with sort of the same message, like, hey, you're doubting Israel, you're doubting that this atrocity took place, look at this, you know what I mean, witness this, right. look at this horrible thing. Right. And shortly after that, people started replying to his tweet with screenshots of an online image, AI image detector uh, called AI or not. This is made by a company called Optic. And it is, the screenshots were all the same. It's, it's uh, you see the original image, one of the original images mm-hmm. that of, of the burnt remains that Israel tweeted. And next to it, there's just like the claim, like this image is likely generated by AI. And people tweeted at him to sort of um, say that he is lying and that Israel is lying about the uh, origin of the image. So, yeah, there. just as a brief aside, there are a lot of these so-called AI image detectors, right? Like, you know, some might be open source, I guess. Others are certainly not. And people turn to these when they're trying to figure out, uh, okay, is this image actually created by AI or not? And they're used for all different sorts of purposes. Uh, and this is just one of those tools that was being used. And what did you say uh, the result was? Something like 52% AI generated or, or something like that? Well, what, what was the result more, more exactly? So there's several of these tools. Right. Um, and there's a whole industry for these tools, right? Um, I would say like on the higher end, you have these specialized companies. They partner with like big corporations. They partner with governments. Um, it is um, not open source. It's proprietary stuff that sure. they don't let you just access. It's like very expensive. It's like tens of thousands of dollars to have access to these tools. That's the high end. And then, you know, on the low end are like free tools online, Chrome plugins, uh, stuff like this. Um, and the one that was tweeted at Ben Shapiro is AI or not made by Optic. And the result that it gave is likely generated by AI. And the results that the that this tool specifically generates are like are binary. It's like likely AI, likely human. Mm-hmm. And this one said likely AI. I think the one you're referring to is, um, you know, once this image started circulating, people on 4chan primarily started inputting the images to all these tools online. Mm-hmm. And one of them, which is open source, um, gives the results and percentages. And um, what I did in the story, just to show that the tools are not perfect, far from perfect, um, is take an image from the New York Times, a photograph of a journalist in Gaza who was killed by Israeli bombings. 
and you know a, a, a photo with a photo credit and, and like the name of the of the person who died taken um, by a real journalist for a real publication we can pretty pretty sure say that that's a real photo yeah yeah fairly fairly confident um and uh that tool this open source tool said it was 52 percent likely to be generated by ai which it just sounds like it's just pulling stuff out of its ass it's insane like how could it even possibly say that uh i mean just to back up slightly so um this first tool is being used it's then being spread around um uh, are people like spreading it widely uh, uh like w- w- how and how is it being spread exactly i mean beyond uh maybe just replies to ben shapiro or was that sort of the, the extent of it or did you see it see it spread wider you know yeah i think it starts there and he's visible enough to have other t- for his replies to be um viewed by many many people yeah um and now it's sort of everywhere right like i was just looking online i was looking on twitter mostly i'm looking at twitter for this and anyone who posts the image or retweets like the uh israeli account tweets um it's in all the replies and it's in the replies to our story like when i tweeted it i'm still getting replies of that same screenshot of that same ai tool kind of say like hey your article is is baloney because you know look at what this tool is saying even though the article i think does a good job of it goes into some detail <laughs> the, the claim yeah yeah um okay so there's this that first of all there's the image of, of of the baby and now this tool is saying wait a second this is ai generated and people spreading that around you then come in to cover this basically and you speak to a world leading expert on digital manipulated images who are they and what did they say when you came to them with all of this unfolding yeah so i see the image right i see that people are saying it's fake i look at this tool i look at the origin of the image and i sort of have like uh a reporter's hunch that the image is legitimate you know what i mean based on um how the image looks based on who tweeted it, where it comes from. Um, and I start calling um, people in the field um, to kind of get their expertise. I want to say in the AI industry uh, field, you mean not, not out in the field. It's, yes. it's uh, and, and yeah. People who are experts on uh, disinformation and AI images. Yes. Um, and eventually I talked to Hani Farid who is a professor at UC Berkeley. Um, He is just like one of the top experts in the world about uh, synthesized images. He is best known for PhotoDNA, which is something that he developed with Microsoft, which helps um, create hashes for images of sexual abuse and sexual abuse of children, um, kind of like a widely used tool across the industry. Massively popular and like an industry standard in this sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, and he's also he. We Sam and I got to know him when we were reporting on deepfakes and uh, Pornhub's own moderation tools. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got him on the phone, and he immediately was like, "Okay, let me look into this." And he does a few things. So one thing he does is he runs 
the image through software that is very similar to the software that people use to say that it is fake. It's, it's, it's what he, he defined it as like classifiers. And basically the way that this works is um, you take a bunch of images that are generated by AI, you take about a, a bunch of images that are not, images that are real photographs, and you have an AI train on them, and then you can feed it images and it will say, oh, this looks more like AI, this looks more like a real image. So sure. he runs it through his own version of that. That is, the, the result on that is that um, it's a real image. That, as he makes clear, is not enough to make a determination. Like you can't right. rely on these tools alone because even if they're like 90% accurate, they get stuff wrong all the time. And there's many reasons why they would get stuff wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so he has this other method, which is just knowing what we know about how AI images are generated and what they're good at and what they're not good at. There are things that they are consistently not good at. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is how shadows are cast, right? So it's like, if there's a light source behind me, um, it would cast all the shadows like in the same direction, the same angle. And AI is just like not very good at doing that yet. Yeah, um, I've and are... noticed that myself when I made some AI images the other day and there was like an outdoor scene of men walking onto a plane and the shadows were just in the wrong direction sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, 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 and there's shadows in this image um, right. that is being disputed that are like very clearly uh, real or in line with what a photograph would look like. Mm -hmm. And then another example is um, AI image generators are not very good at generating like intricate, mm -hmm. small details densely together. Like I'm looking at my keyboard, like it would not be very good at all like the straight angles and uh, characters that are placed on a keyboard. The example that I give in the story is, you know, we wrote this um, viral story now about uh, SpongeBob doing 9-11. And it's like, if you look at that image, there's like the cockpit console with all like the levers and knobs. And if you look closely, it just gets jumbled together, right? Right. It's just like the AI can, it doesn't like sort through all those little buttons and, and knobs uh, very well. Um, and in the image, there are, there, there are like small details like that that are very clearly um, um, in line with what a photograph would look like. Yeah, it's unfortunately a very detailed photo, which is obviously, you know, part of its graphic nature, but also indicative that it is more likely to be a real photograph. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned 4chan. Um, how exactly did they jump on it in some sort of way? So I don't know if this originates on 4chan or if it originates on Twitter. What I do know is that, you know, 4chan users as chaos agents, as people who love to um, kind of wallow in the worst things that are online and make them worse, just jumped into this opportunity to take a very horrible, tragic thing and sow doubt and make people fight about it. And uh, I mean, that, and that's what they did. They just started posting the images and it's like, I can't tell you for certain that this is what is happening, but I would suspect, I would speculate that a lot of the posts that we see online um, of the screenshot saying that it's AI generated is not people genuinely thinking that it's just people quote unquote trolling, yeah. right? It's people who are just like trying to cause chaos and like 
make Ben Shapiro feel bad, make me feel bad, you know, make anyone who shares the image and thinks it is horrible, um, kind of make them feel bad. Yeah, totally. Um, Jason, I feel like you wanted to jump in. I mean, I was just going to say very broadly speaking, like, I think I understand why there has been the rise of AI image detectors. It's like you there's deep fakes and people generate AI images and then there's a natural response to that where there's, you know, well-meaning people uh, who decide to get into this industry and say, hey, we're going to create a tool that will look for specific hallmarks of AI image generation. And I think the way that some of them work, you know, they sort of scan the popular image generating tools like Midjourney, et cetera, and look for like hallmarks that are associated with Midjourney or like the training data, et cetera. Um, as Emmanuel said, and I think it's important to point out, it's like these two are black boxes that rely on AI. Like we don't quite know exactly how they work. You might be able to explain how they work very broadly. But I don't think that you would be able to explain why it gave a specific result to a specific image. Uh, like you could ask the creator of it and they would say, we don't know why this specific tool said that this specific image was likely AI or was not AI or was 52% AI, like 52% possibility that it was AI generated or it was not. So I don't fault the, the fact that these things exist. but two things. One, I think that Dolly 3 and all these AI image generating tools, I personally have looked at many, 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 many images, and I feel like I trust myself over any of these images. Hmm. Like I think that I have yet to see, to my knowledge, an AI generated image where someone can say 100% I generated this image with AI and I'm like, that looks like a photo, and you I didn't can't fall, tell. You didn't fall for the Pope one that a lot of people fell for a while ago, which I did not, to be absolutely clear. But that, like, that got a lot of people. But you're saying like, you still trust your eyes more than anything. So I, trust, I think that on a quick scan, sure, I'm probably like, oh, yeah, like scrolling through uh, social media. Like, I don't know. I think I saw the Pope one and I was like, that doesn't seem real. And then I didn't it didn't care because I didn't I didn't care about it. Like right. I didn't inspect it. But if I were to see something and I was like, oh, this seems important. Let me try to figure out if it's AI. The first thing I would do is I would blow it up and I would look at the details. I would look at the shadows. I would look at the hands because AI is still not very good at hands. I would look at, you know, like the straight lines, et cetera, stuff like that. Um, going from there, I guess, sorry, the, so, so I trust myself more sure. than I trust these AI generators. With music, it's not really the same because I don't, I don't know. I, just, I can't tell as well with music. But like right. with images, they have these hallmarks that I can sort of tell. I've looked at enough of them. The second thing I was going to say is that if an image generator says that this image is 52% likely to be AI, like, and we know that that image detector, AI image detector, is not always correct, is not 100% correct. So there's, there's a margin of error, there's you know, a confidence interval, there, there's, like a, there's some doubt there. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. 
And this is a point that I made to Emmanuel, who graciously included it in the article. It's like if an image detector that's 90% accurate says something that's 52% likely to be AI, it's like anyone can use that, that result to argue any point that they want. Right, right. Yeah, um, on that point specifically, I have to say this because the person who made that tool, which gives gave the 52% likely to be AI result, um, he listens to this podcast. His name is Matthew. He got in touch with me and I've added his comment to the article. Um, and what he said about that is that he, first of all, he says, this is not how people, this is not how I, I expected people to use this tool. And if I hadn't made it on my own um, and I was making it for a real company, possibly, ideally, this company would be, quote unquote, red teaming the tool and be thinking of ways that it might be used in ways that are bad, which I think is what happened here. Um, But he doesn't have those resources, just something that he made. It's open source, actually. So you can see how it works. Um, But he said that even with all of that, he personally would only trust the result if it was 90% either way, right? But you as a person who's just coming across this tool on the internet, you might not know that. I mean, you, pop, you, you, probably, you probably don't know that. And if you're a 4chan user who's just trying to like sow doubt, then that wouldn't matter anyway, right? You just like take an image input it in there and use the result to kind of confuse and anger people. Um, yeah, sorry. Just wanted to, yeah. to clarify that. I mean, this, go ahead, yeah, this idea that like, um, that these tools will be what solves like AI and deep fake detection uh, has always been so misguided and wrong. And we've been saying that since 2017, like experts has been saying that the whole entire time we can't out tech our way through this chaos. Um, like, unfortunately, the only way is to use your eyes <laughs> and like use your critical thinking skills, like look at the context of where it was presented, the sources, the people who are spreading it. Um, yeah, it's it's so messy because we can't have ever have just like a black and white, like this is definitely AI. This is definitely not. Um, I think it's really interesting that the the hugging face tool guy that you talked to um, was like, this was meant for Redditors. Like this was not meant for like verifying war crimes. Um, this is something that was like not in the scope at all. And I think that's probably where these kind of tools should stay um, and leave it to like, I mean, Hani says this, it's like, you're not the CSI. Like you, you actually can't just sit here and use some hugging face tool to tell you what to think. It's not that simple. Unfortunately, I wish it was. Right. Totally. Um, more specifically on the war side, Emmanuel, the headline again was AI image detectors are being used to discredit the real horrors of war. Now we've explained that series of events and all of the context. I mean, what do you actually mean by that headline? Like, like, like what is the danger here uh, and the discrediting of the real horrors of war? What does that mean? was doing a very regrettable thing that I have been doing since this whole thing got started. And I was looking at Reddit in bed and I was reading a thread 
that I don't even remember what the specific video was, but it was a video from Gaza of something horrible, you know? And I was reading the comments and I was very surprised and depressed that there was a sentiment from several of people in the thread that was like, well, this video is horrible, but you know how it is now. You can't trust anything. It's like literally you can't trust anything is what multiple people were saying. Um, and and that, that's essentially where we are, I think. Um, it's just an environment with so much smoke around everything. The AI, it could be an AI image. Um, it could be real. This result that's saying that it's AI could be authentic or it could be fake. It just like layers of confusion um, that are just baked into the internet now. I don't, I mean, it, I was alarmed because I just saw people expressing this sentiment in the wild, um, which I don't think I've seen yet. But I don't want to be too alarmist and say that there is, I don't think that's going to happen about everything. I think the reason that it is happening here is because of the nature of this specific conflict, which is so disputed and people can't agree about basic facts. Right. Already. And it's like, yeah, already, like before AI, before all of this stuff, it's like, we, we didn't need AI to kind of like have confusion and disagreement about what is real and what is not. That's been happening for 70 years, right? It's just like, it's always been that way. People have always disagreed about the basic facts, but now you have these tools that give claims kind of like this aura of scientific evidence it's like i used a tool and the tool says that this is ai so surely you know what i mean it is ai mm -hmm. um and that is just like the new element here which i think is concerning yeah absolutely that makes sense um all right i will take us to a break uh and we'll be right back after this Joseph here. Today I've got something for the Apple fans among you. Cultcast is the official podcast of Cult of Mac. If you're looking for a tech show that doubles as a comedy podcast, this is for you. This show gives you the biggest news headlines in the Apple and tech sphere for that week. It's got Apple news, reviews, even how-tos. The team is an international squad of Apple experts blogging around the clock who have also written for Wired, Scientific American, The Guardian, and Fast Company. They sift through all the rumours, tweets, and news coverage of the week, bringing you what's most important and having a laugh while doing it. Join the community and stay up to date on everything Apple in just 30 minutes a week and have some fun doing it. Find Cultcast wherever you listen to podcasts or at cultofmac.com. And we're back. Now we're going to talk about something uh, very different. Uh, the headline from Jason that we just published is a trademark dispute is tearing the tiny film photography community apart. Uh, I'll also read the subheadline just because, you know, you need a little bit more context than that. Small film camera businesses have been shocked to receive threatening emails from a company called Cinestill over who has the right to use the term 800T or 800T. Um, Jason, what the hell is going on here? Like, where, where does this start? 
Yeah, I'm going to try to do this like very quickly because uh, I went, I set out to write like an 800 word story about this and it ended up being like almost 4,000 words about, as the headline says, the tiny film photography community. But I do think that it's relevant uh, to anyone who cares about technology at all and how technology works in 2023, uh, specifically like how trademark claims are used to prevent competition and mm-hmm. prevent sort of upstart communities. So the the very, or sorry, upstart businesses. Um, the very quick version of this is that there's a company called Cinestill. It was founded in 2012 in Los Angeles and it specialized in film photography. So I would say 2012 was one of the low points of sort of people using film. Like, you know, that the early... 2010s uh like kodak had stopped making a bunch of its types of film mm-hmm. fuji film had stopped making some of its types of film very hard to get there, hold of yeah I remember yeah that. there there were not it was not that popular um and it was kind of around this time that maybe like vinyl records were making a comeback uh but now that like the long story short like film photography is becoming popular again still like very niche but there's all these sort of like upstart companies because people are getting back into it so Cinestill was one of the first companies of this new wave of film photography companies. And they are very famous for this specific type of film called 800T. Okay. Uh, and that refers to the ISL, which is the speed of the film. Yeah. Which basically is like its sensitivity to light. So 800 is a very fast ISL. It's, it, it's good for shooting at night and it's good for shooting in dark environments. And the T refers to the fact that it's tungsten balanced, which means that it is good at shooting incandescent light, meaning that it's like good at reproducing colors in low light situations. All around, all around, it sounds like a pretty good product, basically. It's like universally loved. Sure. Uh, it's, it's people are like, wow, this is cool. And the way that they made it is they did something, they took motion picture film. So like film used for shooting movies and film made for shooting movies is not made for shooting still photography. It has something on it called a remjet layer, Mm -hmm. R-E-M-J-E-T layer. And this layer of the film is designed to protect the film when it's like spinning through a video camera at really high speeds. It like protects the film. Uh, But that layer makes it really hard to develop the film after you've shot it, if you're using it for still photography. Mm -hmm. So they started using this this chemical process to remove that layer before someone shoots images with it. This is not a process that they, this is not a concept that they invented. Like people had been DIYing this for a while. Kodak like published a formula for how to do it at some point. But what Cinestill did was like, they commercialized it. Mm-hmm. So they were taking Kodak film, doing this Kodak motion picture film, doing this process to it, and then selling rolls of it to the general public. And it has this like really distinctive look that everyone thinks is really cool. Right. Or at least I think is really cool. Most people seem to think is really cool. And then smaller people um, you- also sell the film like how does a smaller player so out? so this like everyone like lives in harmony for a little while because everyone's like wow Cinestill, very cool company like sells this really cool film mm-hmm. thank you so much like, love it yeah cu- yeah like a couple years pass and then other companies realize that they can make this 
a very similar type of film. I hesitate to say it's the same film, but like many people I talk to believe that the upstart companies are selling basically the same film. So the upstart companies are basically doing the same process where they're taking like Kodak motion picture film and they're doing this process to it and they're selling it. And a lot of them are selling it as 800T or they were selling it as 800T. And Cinestill is very mad about this because these are competitive products. Right. Uh, And Cinestill got a trademark for the term 800T and 800 tungsten. Mm-hmm. which is describing what the film is. It's 800 ISO and it's tungsten balanced. But Cinestill has this whole like trademark page on its website where it says like, here's what you can say, here's what you can't say, blah, blah, blah. A lot of the companies that are, that are making the film though are like based in China. They perhaps don't give a shit about right. American law. Like they, they may not care. I don't know. They didn't respond to me, but they're, they were selling film that was being advertised as like one brand is called reflex like reflex 800 t right there's a company called amber that is selling t800 uh and then there's this company in in new york city that's new that's selling this film called uh 800 t as well um but they are they all have different brand names they all have different like very different packaging um but so here's 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 where the story is. Yes. There's all these like upstart little companies like Camera Shop, eBay Seller, Community Darkroom who are selling these competitive products to Cinestill and in their online advertisements they were like Reflex 800T. One of them uh was selling it with something that was like 800T better than Cinestill or mm-hmm. just like Cinestill, something like this. Like there were a couple variations. And so the people who are selling this film, these other competitive brands of film, start getting these quote unquote polite emails from Cinestill. That Cinestill uh, is what they, they categorize them as polite emails. Is that right? Yes, yes, they categorize them as polite emails. And so I, you know, I got some of these emails, and you know, they are friendly in that they're like, "Hello, we love film photography. We really want to help you. Uh, our lawyers are CC'd." We want to politely inform you that uh, you need to change the title of your listing or like they will get involved. Like that's what the emails say. Right. And so people get the, these emails and they start freaking out, obviously, because they're like, well, one, one person I spoke to is an eBay seller who sells film out of his bedroom and he, his listings kept getting taken down off eBay. Like uh, a random guy, basically. A not, random guy. Not even yeah. like a small business. It's like one dude. Yeah. It's it's a one it's like a photographer who like as a side hustle sells film on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's this store in Boston that you know got a similar letter. Bushwick Community Darkroom got a, a similar uh, letter, and so all of them told me that they didn't really do anything at first. Like they got this letter and they were scared because it, you know. I think in the industry we call it a vaguely shaped legal, a vaguely legal shaped object. Yes, it's like not not necessarily like a specific legal threat, but also like, hey, we have lawyers. Yeah, it smells so, it smells legally as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they didn't do anything, but then this then the uh, eBay guy, the guy who sells film on eBay, gets another listing taken down. And he gets like threatened to have his eBay account deleted by eBay. Mm-hmm. 
And he's like, well, fuck this. Like, I'm scared. Like, I don't like this. And so he posted on the analog community subreddit, which is the film community subreddit. And he's like, hey, I don't know what to do here. And then all these people are like, oh, we also got similar things. We're also scared. We also don't know what's going on. It turns out it's a much broader thing. And Sinistral is sending a lot of polite emails to to basically the whole community. Yeah. To, to like, I mean, people described it as like anyone who used 800T like anywhere on the internet in conjunction with like a non-Sinistil branded product, which we don't know. Like, we don't know if that's how exactly Sinistil was finding these things. But like, the two two reasons I find this very uh, interesting is like, one, it's like... <laughs> Sinistil told me in its email, like, oh, we just were looking around the internet and we were politely informing everyone who was misappropriating our trademark that they needed to stop. Right. Um, does it then escalate at all? Or what, sort of what is... So one guy is, is sort of fighting it. He's right. like, hey, like... Here are my lawyers. Talk to my lawyers. This guy in Boston, like, talk to my lawyers. And so then they start exchanging, like, actual legal letters. And he describes it as, like, an open case. Like, you know, it's not a case because there's no lawsuit. But it's, like, it's a pending legal matter. So they're, like, they're both spending money on lawyers. No one's happy. um, And they're, they're sort of going back and forth. And then the community itself is just, like, there's a hashtag, like, stop buying Sinistil. Like, we don't like this. We're very mad. Um, because this is an industry that was basically dead a decade ago, like essentially dead. Uh, and now it's resurged, but it's resurged in such a way that like single people can make a living develop- developing film. And I don't know, like I, where I live, there is, there's like four dark rooms in, you know, the second largest city in the country. Like there's not a lot of these businesses left. Right. Um, and so they, the community sees it as like this relatively large company. Like Sinistil says it's only 12 people, but in the industry, it's like, it's very well known now. It's very, it's large. It's not Kodak sized, but it's not random guy in bedroom sized either. Sure. It's big enough to maybe squash the random guys in bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, hey, like they're pushing us around and we don't like it. Um, and then. I spoke to a bunch of lawyers and the lawyers are like, like I spoke to academic, like law professors, et cetera. And the the law professors are like, I don't know, man, like it's a pretty complicated case. Like it's, it's definitely not open and shut uh, in terms of like, should Sinistil win? Like if, if this were to be litigated, they're like, it's 800 speed tungsten film. Like how else are people supposed to describe it? Right. Is sort of their thought. Because it's it's not like the trademark is really for a name like super quick good film <laughs> i don't know just something like that it is literally the the parameters of the product and like theoretically you could buy 800t film because you're looking for film with those characteristics yeah they're, they're, tra- they're trademarking characteristics rather than a name basically and i guess it's an open question about whether that's actually enforceable or not yeah. And so I don't know if we're going to like get a a resolution to this because it would require someone to say, sue me, like, go ahead, sue me. Right. 
And then it would need to be litigated in court. And then the court would need to decide, like, was this trademark properly granted for one? And for two, like, was the use of this trademark by these other companies infringing? Um, Like, all that said, the reason I find it so interesting is that we see this, like, all the time with companies like Nintendo, with companies like Microsoft, like it's come up with AI generated stuff. It's just like, where, where does a company's trademark start and end? And um, like what level of trademark policing is sufficient? And I think that when it's a company like Nintendo, it's like the games industry is gigantic with all these tons of uh, companies. Although Nintendo has enforced its trademarks against like really small players as well. Mm-hmm. But it's like there's not been a successful like cancel Nintendo. Like I'm not buying Mario uh, because of what you've done. Like no, maybe some people happen. have made that sort of like ethical choice, but there's not been a movement like this. Right. And so uh, here it's like the community is so small that it's not just a legal question, but it's like a public relations question too. It's mm-hmm. like should they have done this or should they have just done nothing at all? Said hey we think our film is the best everyone knows it's the best because that's what everyone said it's like everyone is like Sinistil makes the best version of this film um if you want to buy cheaper like imitations you can like that you can as a choice like it's it's like buying a generic brand like frosted flakes at the store you know um yeah it's kind of similar but it's not necessarily as good and kellogg's kellogg's frosted flakes still sells tons of boxes of of cereal and that's sort of like how it was um painted to me so i think it's a really interesting story um i don't know check it out it's very long yeah goes into the weeds i'm sorry no 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 (laughs) it's it's a classic jason 404 media story same with the ticket seller stuff and uh i'm really glad you're digging into it and i'm sure you'll continue to follow it if there are any more legal ramifications from it um but with that i guess i will play us out as a reminder, 404 Media is journalist-founded and supported by subscribers. If you wish to subscribe to 404 Media and directly support our work, please go to 404media.co. You'll get unlimited access to our articles and ad-free version of this podcast. Another way to support us is by leaving a five-star rating and a review. Here is one of those reviews from Samir Mon. Check out the Instagram episode about the ads for drugs. Really informative from a just trustworthy team of journalists. Yeah, definitely go listen to our previous episodes if you haven't already. Uh, you know, we always do our own stories. We don't always follow the news. So this has been 404 Media. We will see you again next week. <laughs>